Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Every war movie has this epic fight scene at the end. We see these great war movies with this awesome fight scene at the end, but it's not the fight scene or the, the fighting that's actually the epic part, is it? It's the war speech. And I mean, at the end of this book, when we're reading this piece of Ephesians, we actually see that Paul is giving this war speech. Maybe to remind you of some of the greatest war speeches in movies ever is Gladiator. Remember that one? Where he asks him, soldier, who are you? And he says this, he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Marinius, commander to the armies of the north, general in the Felix legions, and the loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. And he looks at him deep in his eyes and he says, I'm a, I'm a father to a murdered son, a husband to a murdered wife, and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. It's like after that moment, you're so excited, you know it's on. There's going to be a massive fighting moment. Troy even has a great moment of that in the movie where he says this, he says, my brothers of the sword, I would fight amongst you. I would fight with you more than an army of thousands. He goes on to say that we are menacing. We are lions. Do you know what's beyond that beach? It's immortality. Take it. It's yours. See, there's something about an epic war speech that just opens up your heart to say, yes, I'm ready to fight. And today, Paul is giving us the epic war speech, the final finale of this piece of scripture that we're working through, this book of Ephesians. Well, he actually starts off this piece um, at the end of Ephesians where he says, finally. It's like the moment came. He said, finally, now we can speak about what I've been wanting to speak about this whole time. All the stuff we've spoken up till this point of who you are and what what Christ has done in your life and how you have been transformed. Now, finally, we can get to the nitty gritty, the real thing where the tacky hits the tar moment. And in this moment, he says this, he says, finally, be strengthened. You see, Paul wants us to be strengthened because something's going to happen now. Something is coming. And this something is understanding that we walk in victory with Jesus. See, this morning we want to understand that we walk with victory in Jesus. The first thing is this, is to understand if we are to be in a battle with Jesus, a battle with this world, we need to understand that the fight is real. The fight is real. What does it say? Ephesians uh, 6 verse 12 goes on to say, For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness. And he says against the evil forces that are in heaven. And we're going to explain the, the battle that's specifically for us a little bit later. But first I want to say this, is that the battle is real. The fight is real. The fight is real out there. I mean, a lot of Christians would say, yes, but you know, we have peace as Christians. We should live a life of peace. And I'm with you in that. I mean, even Romans 5 says, now that we have been reconciled with God, that now that we are with God, we have grace of God. Now we have peace with God. And that's true. But just because we have peace with God doesn't mean we don't have enemies out there. You see, if, if we were in a war and as a country, we would choose another, another ally to fight this war with. If we chose that another ally, their enemies immediately become our enemies. And because now Jesus is our ally, he is the one that we associate ourselves with. His enemies become our enemies. Sin and darkness become our enemies as well. See, there is a real conflict, a real war waiting for us. But you want to hear something shocking? The thing is, we are sometimes quite shocking. 
when we look at this war. We look at this war and you, and you would think about it like in our lives, there's one thing that we can all be certain about that will definitely happen in our lives. And it's this, is that every single one of us, we're going to die. There is a reality to that. Whether it's in the next few minutes or the next few months or the next few years, one day we are going to die. But the question is, is what are we doing with this life on earth? You see, Christ gives us eternal life and we know that and that is a beautiful picture. But what are we doing with that eternal life here today? You see, you see there should be some urgency in our hearts, an urgency to, to fulfill what God has done in this world. There's this um, book by C.S. Lewis, and he, he writes this amazing book. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Now, this book is a fictional book that he wrote that it's this senior demon kind of giving advice to a younger demon of how to manipulate a Christian. And in the book, he, he says this. He says that just make sure that the patient, the Christian, all right, just feels okay about life, that everything is just good. Nothing goes bad, just like life is normal. Because when he realizes that, he will see no need for Christ. And here's the thing. Some of us have been so numbed, so numbed by the world around us, by the enemy sometimes, that we kind of miss that we are at a war. We're at a war around us. It reminds me of the story of these two college girls. I mean, they, they meet Jesus and they actually want to drop their studies and go out and do ministry work. They want to go and do missionary work across the country and across the world. And uh, because they obviously want to do this, the parents kind of want to have a conversation with the pastor, which is quite logical. And they go into this conversation with the pastor and say, Pastor, you see, I know our kids want to do this, but I mean, let's just, just for a moment, let's just create some security, you know. Let's just make sure they get their degree, all right, and that they get a job so they can just have some security in life. And then, you know, maybe after that they can do some ministry or missionary work, you know. But why would they go right now to, to Lord knows where, you know, go into a place of uncertainty like that? And the pastor kind of looks at these parents and he, and he replies, he says, let me just get you right real quick. We live on this world, you know, this big rock we call earth that's going at a zillion miles an hour around the sun every single year. And we live on this earth and at any moment there is a trap door that is released underneath us and we, we leave this world and we go and stand before a God. And you're asking me the question whether it's important to know God and to follow His plan for your life or to have security in a degree. <laughs> you see, it's a very harsh question he's asking the parents. And the, question, and the parents actually reply, they say, you know what, well, don't worry, worry, we're Christians too, but maybe you just go too far with this kind of stuff. You see what the problem is with the story? Is that the parents think that people that are passionate about Jesus just go too far. Friends, if your life has been changed by Jesus, there's something that God is calling you to, to be passionate about Him again. You see, there, the fight within us has been numbed by sin and darkness. It has been numbed by the enemy. It is a narcotic sometimes when it comes to sin. Sin sometimes is a narcotic. It just numbs us. It doesn't come and take us over and, you know, uh, take us over in our lives, but it actually just numbs us to the glory that God has for us. Can I embarrass you for a quick moment, if you allow me to? Is do you remember the beginning, the day that you got saved? You know, the moment you got saved and you, you started walking a journey with Christ? You know, remember the conversations you had with God to say, God, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to end this habit. I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be a warrior for you. I'm going to trust for you. I'm going to trust that my family gets saved in this amazing moment. And a few years go by and this kind of goes away. And you get to this place where you realize, well, the moment has kind of changed to a new moment where, you know, you'd wake up on a Tuesday morning 
and go and pray. And your first words to God will be like, God, I know we haven't spoken in about two weeks. I hope you can forgive me. Where has that passion gone? Where has that love gone? Do you remember those times? You see, actually in the book of Revelation, it writes a letter to the, book, to the church of Ephesians. It's actually writing about this book and they, they're kind of going back to the Ephesians. And the one problem that the Ephesians have in um, Revelations 2, 4, it says this. They're doing amazing things, but it's, he says this. But I have this one thing against you. You've abandoned the love you've had at first. Friends, there is a war around us and it's real. And sometimes we've become maybe too numb to this war. But what Christ is saying is that it's not the war that is calling us. It's his love that is calling us. Please don't forget the love you've had at first. The love, the passion Christ has put in your life. Because there is a fight and he's calling us to this fight. You see, I believe there is a battle for us and we'll speak about that now. But now we have to understand that there is a war. But the war is the Lord's. You see, it reminds me of the story in World War II. Um, where Hitler and Churchill are going against each other. The Nazis and the, and the Allied forces are fighting against each other. And it, you would remember these pictures, you know, of Adolf Hitler with his hand and, you know, Churchill with his sign. But you think, you know, Hitler would have seen it coming. Why? Because scissors always beats paper, right? But um, you would see this war between them. And there was this actual very special day in June, the 6th of June, 1944. It is called D-Day. This was the day that the Allied forces attacked the, the shore of Normandy. And they knew that if they would conquer this shore of Normandy, the stronghold in Normandy, that they would now win the war. It was only a matter of time before the war would be over. It was like cutting off the head to the snake. And uh, on that day, they, they stepped into the... the, the the beach of Normandy and started fighting and conquered the beach of Normandy. And they rejoiced because this was D-Day. This was the day the war was actually won by the Allied forces. But it was only until about a year later, I think it was on the, the 8th of March, or yeah, the 8th of March um, in 1945, where we actually see VE Day, Victory Day, the day that the war actually ended. You see, it was only a year later that the war ended. Were there still battles involved? Many, many little battles were involved. But those warriors, those soldiers knew that they stepped out into this battlefield with knowing that they've already won the war. Friends, this is what Jesus comes to do for me and you. You see, the war is not ours. It is God's. The war against sin and death, that is Jesus' war. And he won that war the moment he was resurrected from the grave. He now stands in the full glory of victoriousness over sin and death. And we step into that promise the moment we get saved, the moment we put our faith in Jesus. We step now as people that are already victorious in Jesus. But the truth is that victory day hasn't come. Jesus hasn't come down to fetch us all yet, you know. Victory day has not come yet. But until that day, there are going to be many battles around us, battles for us to fight. But we have to understand that if we want to live a life of victory, it lies within understanding that Jesus gives us victory. In Ephesians 1.20, it kind of explains us right in the beginning of this, this book that we're reading in the first chapter. It says this, he exercised his power, his strength in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand at the heavens. And then he says he put them far beyond every ruler and authority, power, dominion. Every title has been given. You see, when we look at Jesus, 
when we look at His glory, that Christ, Christ was risen from the dead and He was put at the right hand of the Father, we now live in that victory. We are associating ourselves with Christ. We live as people of victory. Yes, there are going to be battles, but it's running into a battle knowing you've won the war. It's like, it's like knowing, you know, starting a, a sports game, knowing you're going to win at the end of the day. You're going to enjoy that game. You're going to enjoy it because you know you've already had victory over it. Friends, we know we have victory over death because of Jesus. Now we can start fighting the battles of life the way God wants us. You see, the war is the Lord's, but the battle, that's ours. That's our responsibility in a sense. You see, there's this beautiful piece of scripture in this, in this um, part in Ephesians that actually speaks about the full armor of God. And it, it explains to us that we should start putting on this armor of God. It speaks about a bunch of different things. But maybe you grew up like that or you know someone like that. You know that person that always had the, the full armor of God, you know, pasted on their cupboard on the inside. And before they got dressed, they put on this armor of God before, you know, they got dressed in their normal clothes just to make sure that they're like not naked for the day, you know, that they're covered by the armor of God. Because just now the enemy is going to, you know, they're going to forget to put on their breastplate of righteousness and the enemy is going to zap them in the chest and now, you know, it's over. But actually that is not the truth of the armor of God. There's so much more to it. You see, that's a very cute way of looking at the armor of God. But the armor of God is much stronger than we think. You see, there's many facets to the armor of God. And I'm going to quickly run through them. The first thing is this. He says about three things that we need to put on. And then there's three things we need to take up. The first three things we need to put on is this belt of truth, the belt of the gospel, the truth that changed your life. And with that around you, you can now understand this truth. And it actually speaks about Jesus, Jesus being this gospel of truth that we put around us. He goes on to say the breastplate of righteousness. Now, in the old days, they used to believe that your emotions were in your chest. And so to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to say that we are protected in our emotions. And why righteousness? Well, righteousness means right standing with God, a position that God gives us. And now because our emotions kind of throw us you know, back and forth, we can now have a position that we are right standing with God, that there is a strength put within us. Why are we put in that position? Well, because Jesus made a way for us to be right standing with God. He is our righteousness. He is our breastplate of righteousness. It goes on to say that the sandals of readiness to share the gospel of peace. Now, when I say the gospel of peace, it doesn't mean that there is no war. There is a definite war, but we do it in a peaceful way. We do it in a way that Christ did it with us. When he saw our pain and saw our anger, he didn't fight. He actually surrendered and he actually gave his life so that we could have life. And so I'm going to ask you this, is that is, are, are your feet ready with the sandals of readiness, you know, to share the gospel to your friends, family, and the people around you? And the, the next three that he speaks about is quite important. He actually says this, in addition to all of this, so he says all of that in addition to that. It's a separate part. He says in every situation, every single situation. So this is quite important. He says, take up these three things. First of all, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You see, it's a helmet that, that it actually changes the way we think. The way we think about ourselves. Salvation is the understanding that we are saved. The understanding that we are now with Christ. You see, the Bible also teaches that Christ is this helmet of salvation. That we put on Christ and we trust Christ. 
And the fifth one is this, is that it's the shield of faith. Probably one of my favorite ones. Um, why? Because it explains this beautiful shield. It's a, the, the picture we kind of have of the shield is that it's a 1.2 meter, you know, big shield that the Romans used to use. And they used to wet the front of the shield to kind of stop the arrows from the enemy, the flaming arrows. And um, the beautiful thing we see about this piece of scripture is that it reminds me again of Psalm 33 verse 20. And that says this, wait for the Lord, for he is our help and shield. You see the Lord Jesus, he is the shield that walks in front of us. And if Christ is to walk in front of us, now we have protection from any space, from any enemy, because Christ is the one that is in front of us. It goes on to understand this is that a shield is actually not a defensive mechanism. It's not a defensive tool. It is actually created for attacking. You see, when, when the armies used to go forth and, and kind of attack, they would use the shields for one purpose, not to not be killed, but actually to get close, to get close to the darkness, to get close to the enemy so that they could use the sword. And this is the last one that he speaks about, the sword of spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the Romans actually had a very short sword. It was a 60 centimeter short sword it was literally called a short sword and they, they had to get real close to the enemy to kind of get them right and so the shield is actually an attacking uh, attacking mechanism to kind of get closer to the enemy now why are we speaking about all of this well sometimes we think that the the armor of God is this defensive mechanism this thing that you know today I've put in the armor of God and now I've got the armor of God so I'm going to feel okay I'm going to feel safe today I'm going to be okay I'm defended I am looked after but the armor of God is not an offensive or a defensive weapon, but it's an offensive weapon. It's not made for defense. It's made for attack. It's made for something that we can put on every day and we can attack. Now, what do we put on? Well, it's this understanding that, and we read about this earlier in Ephesians, that we clothe ourselves with Christ, that we take off the old self and put on the new self. We put on Christ in us and around us. And Christ is the strength. He's the person we put on. Because he won the war. And it's quite scary, right? Thinking about this war. Thinking about that we are supposed to go out into the darkness and attack the enemy. You see, the, the thing about attacking the enemy, it's kind of like this war situation. Where this guy wrote in this war situation, he says, You are going to have to stand up and run and charge towards the enemy. That will draw them out and they will be beaten. Because you have the power around you. It says, if you do not charge, you will not win. <laughs> and here's the thing. God's calling us to an army, to a fight, to fight for him and with him. The question is, are you ready to charge? It's scary, right? Philippians 2 actually explains this in verse 12, the, the second part of verse 12. It says that we work out our salvation. You see, we're not speaking about salvation today, that we have to fight to prove anything. We are already winners of a war. The question is the battles in life, how are we going to fight them? And he says, you work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling. A lot of us are like, God, you know, we want to go change that area in our city. Or I want to go change that person in my family. Or I see this darkness within them, but I'm scared, you know. I'm not ready. Maybe just drop a few bombs, you know, before me. And then when it's kind of safe, then I'll start rushing in. And Christ says, no, I've given you Christ. God says, I've given you Christ. And now you can run into this war and fight this war head on. So how is our battle? What is the battle we're speaking about here? You see, it's a great speaking about this armor that we can put on, which is Christ himself, and that we can have this relationship with him. But where is the battle? Well, again, 
as it says in Ephesians 6.12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. It's not against people that hurt us. It's about this. It's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, of evil around us. Now, where do you see evil? Well, there's evil that is physical in this world. You see, when spiritual power becomes physical, that is when we start seeing the spiritual even in a more way. You see, the spiritual realm and the physical realm are not just separate, but they also work together. And we see a lot of evil. We see it all in over our city. We see it where people have pain, pain of, of loss or pain of hurt. We see where people have brokenness, broken systems, um, maybe municipality systems that are broken, maybe leaders in, in our government, maybe leaders within our city that are broken. And we see it in lostness, people that are lost, that are not found in Christ. We see it at clubs at night, these, these spaces where people are trying to find something, but they are so, so lost. You see, the war is not just spiritual. It's not like the spiritual war is like me praying, you know, and every time I pray really hard, a demon gets zapped somewhere. No. You see, prayer is a major part of it, but it's also a major part of our life when we look at the physical, when we look at that. So what is the war? How do we fight this war? Well, I truly do believe that when we look at the pain and the brokenness and the lostness of our world around us, it's understanding that there's only one thing that can fix all of those things. It's understanding that Christ calls us to love, to love the people around us. You see, in, in that part of Revelation, just jumping back real quick, in that part of Revelation, he says, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your love you've had at first. And it's kind of like Christ saying, you know, God saying, I see you. I see you doing amazing things, but you're not doing it in love. May you do that in love. May you find the lost people in our city and show them so much love because that is very spiritual, friends. That is probably the biggest spiritual fight you'll have ever is to love people that are lost, is to love people that are broken. It is to love people that are in pain. It's to love them with everything that Christ has given you. And there's only one way you can love. It's once you receive Jesus, the way that you receive him, the person you receive of Jesus. You put him on as the armor and you walk into this life loving people in the way that Christ asks us to love people. So where do we get to? Well, in Matthew 6, Jesus actually prays this famous prayer. And as he's praying this prayer, um, he says something very very important to understand why what happens the moment we start fighting these battles of love loving our our neighbor when they hurt us you know loving that person in government when they hurt us choosing to bless people when they hurt us what happens well he says this in verse 9 he says therefore you should pray like this he says and we all know this one our father in heaven your name be honored as holy and then he says your kingdom come the moment we start loving people on this earth the moment we start showing people love and living in that love, start stepping into darkness with the armor of God, loving people with righteousness and faith and teaching them the word of God and, and, and being there for them, the moment we step into those places, that is when we start seeing God's kingdom come to earth. That's when we see the kingdom of God, your kingdom, come. Friends, God calls us to a war a war that is real, and this war is against all evil, and not people, but evil. 
And we should not allow that evil can take over people, can take over this world, can take over our country, can take over the city. We need to believe that Christ is stronger and we need to put on Christ and start stepping into darkness. Stop ste start stepping into that friend group that is dark. Stop ste stepping into that friend group you know, that, is, that is lost. Stop, start stepping into that space that is dark that you're scared to go to. Maybe it's your work, you know, colleagues at work that you're too scared to step into. Maybe it's, it's, it's the space of your sports fields. Maybe it's the place where you're studying. Friends, it's time to start stepping out into that darkness. Why? Because, and we learned about this last week, is that darkness sucks. It creates darkness. But light fills up. And may you go out and fight for God. Fight for Jesus. May you go and fill people with the love of Christ. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.